arms open as ever and uh, the talk notes will help you know where we're going and if you want to make some notes um, as well. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that in it contains everything we need for salvation and for living for you. Father, please equip us today as we look at it. Please show us yourself, reveal yourself to us that we'll be confident and equipped to do again all that you have called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. How do you respond when you're asked to do something that you don't want to do? Or even better yet, how do you respond when you're asked to do something you don't want to do by someone you can't refuse? Maybe it's your boss, your teacher, your parents, your spouse, government. Someone tells you to do something that you don't want to do, but you can't refuse them. Well, I think there are a number of people. There are the putter-offers. You know, those people who say, definitely, I'll be there 9 a.m. sharp, and they're desperately in their mind thinking of ways they can get out of it. There are the reasoners. And he's just trying to get around you by sheer weight of volume of words. Well, I could be home by 10.30 at night, but, but isn't 11.30 more realistic? After all, no one else has to be that home earlier. And I proved myself last time when I came home when I said I would. Uh, and, and then there are the passive aggressives. Sure, I don't mind staying late. They say, thinking about how they'll make you regret it. There are the excuse makers. I would love to do that project, but I'm just not sure I'm the right person. I think Tom over there, they're much better suited to doing it. I don't know whether you saw yourself in any of those. Maybe a combination of all. But how about when God asks us to do something? Surely we wouldn't do that then. I'm sure we do. Sure we do. Uh, Moses did. You'll remember from last week, if you were here, that the rescue plan, God's big rescue plan of Exodus, is kicking off. It is he's starting, he's getting it going. We saw that God has seen his people's suffering. He's heard their cries. He knows what they're going through. And so, verse 8, we saw, heard these wonderful words. Moses heard these wonderful words. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. What great news for God's people. What great news for Moses. But, verse 10, come, God speaking, come, I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people uh, may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses isn't so sure about this part. God, you coming down, bringing the people out, wonderful. Using me, I'm not so sure. Moses gives five objections. And we're going to look at each of them in turn this morning. They're, they're on your handout there. What, but what I want to highlight is... It's not the objections so much that are important for us this morning. It's God's response to them. That is what is going to help us. So objection number one, it's a question, it's who am I? We're going to, these first two we looked at in much more detail last week. 
So we're going to be quite quick through these first two. Objection number one from Moses, who am I? Have a look at verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I to do this great work? I'm just a shepherd. I had to flee my home, run away. I'm now spending my days in the desert looking after sheep. And you want me to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man on earth, and tell him to let his two million or so slaves go. Moses doesn't think he's up to the task. And fair enough, right? Who am I? But God's answer is, is brilliant, devastatingly brilliant. Verse 12, he said, but I will be with you. But I will be with you. Moses, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you are. I will be with you. And there is no doubt about it. So um, verse 12 goes on. I will be with you, and this will be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. It's when, when this has happened, Moses. When I have done this. God promises his presence with Moses. Moses, I will be with you. I'm going to come back to this one again in just a second, because the second one links in and builds up. Objection number two from Moses. Who are you? Verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Again, it seems reasonable. Moses is to go to the elders, the, the elders, the, the rulers of God's people, and he's going to tell them that God is going to use him to rescue the people from Israel, uh, from Egypt, sorry. Those are the people who last time out wanted nothing to do with Moses. And, they, and they're going to say, well, sorry, who told you this is going to happen? Verse 14. God's answer, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. These incredible words we spent much more time thinking of last week. God is saying that he is the self-defining, incomparable God. He is the self-existence, transcendent, independent God of the universe. He's the God who had no beginning, has no end, who is is powerful, is supreme. I am who I am. And at the same time, he is Yahweh. Verse 15, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. He is also that personally connected, actively present, promise-keeping God to his people through the generations. That's who God is. That is who is telling Moses to go back to Egypt and to bring the people out. That is who is promising to be with Moses. You remember your Hebrew word from last week? Hebrew verb to be? 
Hiya. Yeah, very good. Hiya. Um, if you weren't there, sorry, you have to watch it. But um, uh, that, that verb, hiya, to be, which is where um, I am, who I am comes from, and where Yahweh comes from. And verse 12, what verb do we find there, right at the beginning? But I will be. Hiya. It's, it's the same word. I will be. Hiya. I am with you. I will be with you as you do this. I am who I am, Yahweh, that is who is with Moses. And do you see how that should make all the difference in the world to Moses? Now doing a hard task is far harder doing it alone. You can probably think of examples of times when you had to do something hard and if someone has come along and said, I'll come with you, I'll do it with you how much easier that becomes. And, and how much even easier that becomes when the person you're doing with is, like, is amazing. This is a wonderful promise for Moses. Yes, Moses, you ought to go back. You're going to bring the people up. But me, this God we've seen, I am Yahweh. I will be with you. There's more, more he, he unpacks this in a bit of depth here. Um, so verse 18, he goes on. We, we, get, we find both great encouragement for Moses because uh, God tells Moses that the elders will listen to him. So this time that they will believe him. But there's also an indication that Moses is going to need Pharaoh's help. He's going to need, sorry, God's help. Did I say Pharaoh? Yeah, no, no, don't need Pharaoh's help. He's going to need the Lord Yahweh's help because Pharaoh won't listen. The elders will listen, Pharaoh won't. Have a look down at the second half of verse 18. This is what the, uh, that Moses and the elders are to go to Pharaoh and say, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Now you might, when you read that one day, okay, hang on a sec, what, what is God's plan? Is it, is it a three-day plan or is it a forever plan? I think probably what's going on here is this is the, the start of the negotiations. Okay, this is the first offer, this isn't the final offer. God knew and in fact had planned that Pharaoh would not accept their initial demands. But their request really highlights, starts to highlight for us the implacable nature of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, uh, one commentator said this, uh, Pharaoh was unwilling to, go, to give God even three days glory. Pharaoh wouldn't, Pharaoh wouldn't tolerate any other deities. For him, it was him alone. It was going to take ten plagues to show him that Yahweh was God and that he was not. Moses is going to need God's presence. He's going to need God's help. It was going to require some extreme measures. But how wonderful and how comprehensive this deliverance was going to be. Have a look down at verse 20. So I will, uh, 21, sorry. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver, for gold, for jewelry and clothing. 
They shall put them on your sons and in your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. This is a complete deliverance that God is promising. Total. He is going to provide for them as they leave. They're not going to go out empty-handed. God doesn't just have his, his big plan. He's got his little plans to bring about that big plan. He is comprehensive in his saving work. I am who I am. Yahweh is going to be with Moses. It won't be easy, it won't be straightforward, but it's not in doubt. He, the Lord, Yahweh, will surely do what he is promising. Objection number three. They won't listen to me. So here's uh, Moses chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they, that's the elders, will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Again, you can imagine him remembering 40 years past. Moses is surely thinking, Well, look, they, they just won't believe what I'm saying. And although we can understand his concerns, we can probably start to see the cracks in his his logic starting to appear. Because what did we just hear in chapter 3? In chapter 3, verse 18, God had said to him, and they will listen to your voice. Go assemble the elders of Israel, tell them they're watching over them, and they will believe you. So it's our first indication that perhaps Moses isn't so thrilled about this idea. The problem isn't so much that the elders won't believe, it's that he doesn't believe. But despite this, God is patient with Moses, and so he says, okay, here are some signs. Do do these signs before the elders, and there are are three of them. The first one, um, that staff, you throw the staff on the ground, it will turn into a snake. And then you grab the snake by its tail, it will turn back into the staff. Uh, the second one, you put your hand inside your tunic and, uh, and pull it out, and it'll, it'll turn to leprous. And then you put it back in and pull it out, and it'll be, be clean again. And the third one, pour some blood onto the ground, uh, sorry, some water onto the ground, and it will turn to blood. Signs, signs are, are things to, to stop you in your tracks, to make you stare. And as the word suggests, signs, they, they point to something. So, so what do these three signs point to? What do they tell us? Well, firstly and simply, they tell us that because they, these are supernatural signs, they prove that God really has sent Moses. But why these three signs? Why snake, leprosy, water and from the Nile and blood? Well, these signs are are first to be shown to the elders of Israel, but after that they're going to be done in front of Pharaoh. And God takes every single possible chance to remind Moses, to remind Israel, to remind Pharaoh that he is the supreme God. You see, a snake, a cobra, in Egyptian culture was the symbol of sovereignty, even deity. And that Moses could manipulate his his snake into becoming a snake, and particularly, more importantly, to cease being a snake, shows his complete sovereignty over snakes. 
over Pharaoh. Leprosy, in those days, um, uh, leprosy was thought to be incurable. But what no person could do, God does in, in a second. And the, the, wild, the, the, the water from the Nile, sorry, the wild, the water from the Nile um, prefigures the first plague. Uh, and the Nile was supreme. I can remember this from school, can't you? The, how important the Nile was to Egyptian culture, how it floods and it um, helps everything grow. I still remember that. The, the Nile was the source of the Egyptians' wealth, is a source of food. And so to threaten to destroy the Nile was to threaten to, to destroy Egypt. Yahweh showed that he could do all that. These three signs are to prove to to Moses, to the Israelites, to Pharaoh, that I am, Yahweh, is the God of the universe. Objection number four. I can't. I'm no good at speaking. Verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servants, which has been, what, five minutes? But, um, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. We don't know exactly what Moses means here. Is he saying that, look, I'm, I'm just not a very good public speaker? Is he thinking, you know, I've been gone for 40 years. My Egyptian, my Hebrew is probably a bit rusty at this stage. Some people suggest that he, he might have actually had a speech impediment. It literally is, has like a weighty tongue. So again, we have a measure of sympathy, don't we? Particularly if the last one is the case. You know, this mission is going to involve a lot of high-powered talks. He's going before the most powerful man in the most important kingdom. You can, you can understand the fact that he's not feeling qualified for the job. But it's hard to be too sympathetic the person who says, I'm no good at speaking when he's arguing with God. Perhaps we're seeing again that this isn't so much a speech problem, it's an obedience problem. That God answers his concern. In fact, it's God who asked the question this time. Verse 11, Then the Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Moses, who made your mouth? You'll be fine. God made mouths, ears, eyes. He made Moses' mouth. Moses will be okay. And what's more, God promises to help him, to show him what to say. Verse 12. Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. God's not wanting a great orator here. He's wanting a good reporter. Simply say what I've told you to say, Moses. I can't, says Moses. You can. I made your mouth. And I will tell you what to say. And then finally, I don't want to. Verse 13. But he said, Oh my Lord, Please send someone else. I hear you, Yahweh. I love the plan. Send whoever you want, just not me. He's run out of excuses. He's run out of questions. And here's what it comes down to. Is he wants out. 
Three times Moses is told, go, go. Moses, you're still here, go. And now finally after these series of excuses, Moses reveals his heart. Please would you send somebody else. But it's actually even worse than that. Because notice what happens in verse 10. Follow this through. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord. Now remember from last week, remember when when we see capital letters, Lord. Capital letters, Lord, is Yahweh. Lowercase Lord is not Yahweh. So look again. But Moses said to the Lord, said to Yahweh, O my Lord, I am not eloquent in speech, and so on. It's not Yahweh, it's, it's Lord. It's, an, it's the word Adonai. Then verse 11. Then the Lord, Yahweh, said to him, and then verse 13, Moses again, O my Lord, Adonai. And then verse 14, then the anger of Yahweh. You see, you see he, he doesn't seem to have grasped what he's been told before. God says, I am Yahweh. I am capital letters, Lord. I am Yahweh. And Moses says, oh my Adonai. Oh my Adonai. He's not quite grasped it. And even when you think that, there's, there's a bit of irony here because Adonai is that word, for, I say for Lord, for sort of sovereign one, for ruler, for master. And he's saying, oh my master, don't send me. Oh my sovereign one who commands all, I don't want to obey you. Send someone else. Much later in the book, Moses is going to write that God is slow to anger. And surely he was slow to anger that day. But after all these objections and excuses, finally, the Lord's anger is kindled. Enough, Moses. God gets angry. And yet, even in his anger, he is patient and merciful. Verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not air in your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He provides, God provides Moses with the helper, with his brother, Aaron. Aaron is going to speak for him. God is still going to help them. He's going to be with them, and he's going to help them both to know what to say. And even in that anger, I think we get an incredible glimpse of God's gracious provision. Aaron was already on his way. God was already bringing Aaron along before this had started. As arguments with God tend to go, Moses lost. He says, who am I to lead these people? God says, it doesn't matter who you are. What matters is who I am. Moses said, okay, well, but who are you? And Yahweh said, I am who I am. I am Yahweh. Moses said, but people won't listen to me. God said, they will listen to you and I'll give you signs. Moses said, I'm not very good at speaking. I'm not very good with my mouth. And Yahweh said, I made your mouth. You'll be fine. 
Moses finally said, look, please send somebody else. Yahweh was angry, but he said, look, I'll give you Aaron, but you need to get going. Moses is doubting, he's scared, he's insecure, he's wavering, he's untrusting. But God is with him. He's I am. He's a provider. He's the maker of everything and he's patient even in his anger. What is this teaching us for us today? God never commands us to do something that he doesn't always equip us to do. God never commands us to do something which he doesn't also equip us to do. Moses was sent on this extraordinary mission and God equipped him for the task. He he promised his presence. He revealed himself to Moses. He gave signs. He gave speech. He gave a, a spokesman. God commanded Moses to do something and he equipped him to do it. Now, of course, Moses had a very distinct job. He was the one who's going to bring the people out of slavery in Egypt. So it's not something that God calls any of us to do. But yet God never commands what he doesn't also equip. You've got a difficult family member who you're called to love and serve. God commands, he equips. You have that sin that, that you can't seem to, 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 fight, to kick, to get rid of. God commands, he equips. Now that friend who seems quite interested in, in your faith and you can't ever seem to quite get the right words. God commands, he equips. There are a number of comparisons that we could make just to pick up on one. In terms of the promise of God's presence with him as he does this task. Well, how does the Great Commission finish? That, that Great Commission that Jesus gave to all of his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. And how does that that great call finish? And surely I am with you, always, to the very end of the age. And again, do you see, just as Moses was encouraged to think, this is, I am, this is Yahweh who's with me. So in the Great Commission, Jesus says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. This is who is with you as you seek to go about this huge task. I can't. I so often feel like I can't. I can't. Jesus is with us, and he is the one who is doing that work. You know, and the, the number one reason I've heard for, that I, I hear, sorry, for, for people saying why they, they, they're not witnessing you know, I'm not good at speaking. I just, I just don't know what to say. I can never kind of get my thoughts in order. Again, I was so encouraged just to remember, you know, God doesn't call us to be the best speakers. He calls us to be good reporters. He simply wants us to tell people what God has done for us in Jesus. He gives us fellowship. He gives each other to do this work. Moses had Aaron, Paul in the New Testament had Timothy, Barnabas, Silas. God gives us each other to do this. And you know, I'm sure there'll be, be people here who in some sense, in something, have, have given up on what God has called us to do. And it may be that you're letting your past failures from stopping you from being obedient today. 
Fathers might think, you know, I've made such a mess of trying to leave my family. I can't start now. They'll think I'm a hypocrite. They, they know what I'm really like. Or you're at work and you think, I could never start witnessing to my colleagues now. I've been there for two years and no one even knows I'm a Christian. And it's a common problem. We use our past failures as excuses not to be obedient today. But when we do that, we are elevating our inadequacies over God's power. Again, as one commentator put it, we need to trust God's omnipotence, not our competence. Because God always equips what he commands us to do. And when you're doubting whether you can do something, where where do you look? Or when you're trying to help a friend who has uh, doubts over something they're doing, where do you encourage them to look? Do you look at yourself and encourage them to look at themselves? Or do we look up at God's? Now, it's important to to, to note that God doesn't seem to address Moses' low self-esteem, his lack of confidence, I think that's what we're often tempted to do, to to respond to doubts with kind of mindless flattery. Someone says, like, who am I? Oh, you're great. You can do it. You're amazing. Someone says, oh, I'm so weak. No, you're not. You're not weak. You're strong. You can do this. Someone says, I haven't got the skills. You're rubbish. You're brilliant at that. Good-willed as that is, and there are great times to encourage people in the gifts that God has given them, but what is going to be more helpful for our long-term good is to not look down at ourselves, but to look up at God's. Yes, you might be weak. You may feel, feel ill-equipped. But God is with you. He is the Supreme One, the Almighty. And as we finish, just again, a reminder that we can never, we can never and will never do perfectly what God calls us to do. And so just for a second, just to reflect on, on our rescuer. You know, Moses was the reluctant rescuer for the Egyptians. But in his failings, we again pointed to the perfect saviour who didn't hesitate to answer God's call. The one who left that comfort and glory of heaven, who came to earth to do God's will perfectly. He said, not my will, but yours be done. Who laid down his life to rescue God's children. That's not Moses. That's God's son, Jesus. The one who cleanses and forgives all of our failures and disobedience. He is our saviour. 